0: And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 213, and today I am joined by my son, but also Mark Weingust. Mark is one of the people behind one of my new favorite film nerdy magazines, Layered Butter. You can check it out on their website, LayeredButter.com, to order their back issues, and also... They have a pretty amazing online presence where they have a really great podcast as well as a bunch of other stuff. And they do tutorials and seminars. So if you're the kind of person who loves just like cinema art and just other nerdy shit, you're going to love this magazine. Check it out. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch This Is Spinal Tap. I am Jeremy. I've seen this film quite a few times, but not for a while. And
1: I'm here with... Mark Weingust. And I have never seen this film, no matter how many times I own it, on Blu-ray or DVD. I mean, we'll get into that in a
0: second. And last but not least, we are here with...
2: I'm Ephraim.
0: Ephraim is my second-in-command, my boy.
2: Um, and I've not seen this movie.
0: No, you have not seen this movie. No, I haven't. Uh, or any other Christopher Guest movies. No. You know you know very little. All you know about this, which we won't say, you know one joke from this.
1: Um, I, th- I think everybody in popular culture knows at least one joke from this movie indirectly.
0: Yeah. That's just it. Or it's the kind of movie I think as you, if you're, especially if you're of a certain age, once you watch it, you're like, oh shit, now I get this reference and that reference and this reference.
1: Well, I mean, the greatest disseminator of popular culture, also known as as The Simpsons, is the one that, you know, is basically pop culture point zero for everybody. Exactly.
0: So how many times have you owned this movie?
1: So about three times. First one was, like, an HMV sale from, like, years and years and years ago, where I picked up that, Spaceballs, and UHF on DVD. The second time was when I found the Criterion version, and here, like, as I'm showing you on Zoom, I have mine signed by Rob Reiner. Oh, geez. Yeah. Whoa. And then That's the nice. third one's the Blu-ray. I mean, eventually it'll make its way to 4K and then I'll buy that. But I thought, you know what? I, actually, this started out because I wanted to watch A Mighty Wind With You, which is another Christopher Guest movie. And then that reminded me, I never watched, you know, the original collaborations all the way in the beginning. Oh,
0: it's yeah. So the, the, the do you, did they, I don't think the Criterion ever came out on Blu-ray though, right? No, it didn't. No. Yeah, so the, the yeah, Blu-ray is something else. Yeah. No, for sure, because that one became – well, first of all, it's out of print, so it made it more expensive. Now, yours is signed, so you've got a, a really rare yeah. out of print That'll, signed one. That, that one will do okay.
1: That one will do okay in the aftermarket, I believe, hopefully. Oh, <laughs> Criterions
0: are one of the few discs, even DVDs, they don't lose their value that much.
1: Um, it depends on what it is. There are some that I feel are worth more, not just because they go out of print, but because you know there's something very special with it. Um, I although, got lucky
0: when I got the Bergman box set. I had already owned about half of them on DVD. And so when I got it, I took all my DVDs into BMV. And, they, and the amount of money they gave me was
1: more than the box set cost. So if anything, that's just – I don't know whether that's people just don't know the value of it. I mean, I'm sure you do. You know that really the most that you'd pay for it would be at most half off. Of Well, that's what they – they give you half of what they sell it for. Okay, I didn't know that BMV works like that because I mean I've sold them stuff in the past, not Criterion's, but I don't know maybe their policy with Criterion's is better.
0: It, it's different. Though that I mean if you sell DVDs there you get pennies, but when yeah. you Criterion's are treated differently at BMV for sure. Yeah, so they're they're one of the few things that uh, I don't mind buying uh, a Criterion on a whim because I know I can always go to BMV and turn it around for a somewhat of a not a, a, it's a loss but it's marginal
1: that or you can trade it online you, you can find people in the marketplace or people online facebook for example
0: yeah so what so how do you get around to owning this movie for decades i assume at this point and never watching it,
1: it it's just one of those movies that it, it's it's on the peripheral of just one of the greatest comedies ever you just gotta have it and then you have to be in a mood to watch it so for me, it, there hasn't been an opportunity that has arose for me to sit down and watch this and to laugh along.
0: Yeah, it's too, and it's too bad we can't do this as a group because this is such a great movie to watch I with, know. With, the, with the
1: crowd. But my question for Ephraim is just more of what kind of music are you into? Because I'm not sure if this band would be your ah. thing. You'd be surprised. Like he
0: listened, He So Mark, we lost the headset for a second. Oh, no. Mark okay. was asking what kind of music you're into.
2: Oh, I like like 90s stuff.
0: He, he listens to basically if you have, if you have Sirius XM and you listen to Lithium, that's what Ephraim listens to. So does so, he listen to your kind of music? Yeah, that's just it. Like he gets his taste from, from my childhood. Unfortunately, uh, not that unfortunately, like my dad. I listen to awesome music. Well, that's kind of what it is. is like every I grew up listening to music from the fifties and sixties because that's what my parents listened to. They listened to like those classic, you know, Chuck Berry and all those kind of things. Right. And so he grows up with, he grew up with like Nirvana and Weezer and Ben folds. Um, and, you know, bands of that ilk in and around that, that, so he, you know, he, the, the he'll probably really And also like some Aerosmith stuff, some, some
1: stones. So like the music, the band in this will be in his wheelhouse. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now in terms of like rock documentaries or mockumentaries in this way, um, was this ever, like, a, a genre that you wanted to explore, you know, uh, like, in your filmmaking career so far?
0: Mark, I've done – two times I've done documentary I know, documentary I know. You but son of a bitch. A you never watched my movies. You
1: piece of shit. Your early movies. Your early movies. I've seen your more recent ones.
0: Well, my first feature film was a, a, a mockumentary oh okay well forgive my ignorance Again, that's okay you know it, the early fair, films it,
1: i don't know where they are
0: no it didn't get it, it's around you can watch it on it's on apple for sure but it's uh gotcha. it's it, the first one didn't get a great release we got kind of po- screwed by our distributor and then we ended up releasing it on our own so the first one's called the untitled work of paul Shepard, and it was basically born out of my obsession with movies like this but also the office and just other things of that time, so you know, I'm heavily influenced by by documentaries. And then I also did uh, a short movie, a short film called Bastards uh, in this format. Which
1: that, that one I remember because yeah. I think I came to a live uh, live reading of it. Yeah, we tried way to get back that in the day.
0: A, yeah, we tried to get it made as a TV series, but I never, I never got any traction. You never know.
1: You, you could always repitch it
0: we at one point i'm sure we will there's so much someone someone just brought up to me the other day they're like how did that never go and it's like i don't know uh and but and we're just as a family watching modern family together so that's kind of ephraim's first uh intro into like the fake documentary world or as and this movie i'm almost entirely no that's not i don't think it's true Is it true that this movie was the first mockumentary? No, Fellini did
1: like the first. No, well, I I don't know because uh, one of the things I did bring out would also, I feel, be something out of Ephraim's Wheelhouse. I'm not sure if you ever have heard of this. The Ruttles? The Ruttles. So it's Eric Idle's version of doing the Beatles. um, But, you know, it's a Monty Python kind of parody of it. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, also produced by George Harrison. Is it okay? Oh, it's totally Okay totally okay i honestly it's really funny i mean i i watched this probably earlier um than oh, ephraim hold up how how old are you
2: i'm 12
1: Twelve. yeah so i remember watching this when I was like six or seven so okay, this, is, he, this, okay. This, will, this will be fine for him yeah and he
0: knows beatles inside out so that would be yeah. you probably you probably catch a lot of the uh, the references yeah. he's seen a hard day's night
1: oh uh, my my three-year-old nephew's in love with the beatles like obsessed
0: That's... with the beatles it's something about that age group. Like that's like he. We were just driving around one day in the car. Not to embarrass you, bud. But when he was like two and a half, and this song, a Beatles song, came on the the radio, and he was just like, "What's this? What's this? What this?" And we're like, "Oh, it's the Beatles." And we got home, we put a CD on, and he was just hooked. You know, by the time he was four, he you could start playing any Beatles song, and he he just knew the lyrics down pat. He could sing any Beatles song. In the entire catalog, it was crazy. He would do concerts for people that would last hours and just never give up.
1: <laughs> that no seriously, that honestly sounds like my nephew right now. I am yeah. not joking. so like with him, I, I think it was my my father that put him onto it, like he was entertaining him, and he liked the music so much. so there was a time where I lent him the giant stereo uh box set of just all the Beatles albums what and whatnot. He read through each and every liner note, like the little album, um, little booklet that came with it, memorized all the songs, like laid them out all over the ground. There are pictures I could show you afterwards of just the obsession with it. But funny enough, uh, like going back to the Beatles and, and Mockumentary back in high school, uh, we used to do a film festival every year. And in the vein of Sp- Spinal Tap and *Ruddles*, um, I actually made a Beatles parody because this was around the time Beatles Rock Band came out.
0: So this is something so, you made. So Mark showing me a poster of something called the Mop Tops.
1: Yeah. So it it was basically me and my best friends. We were basically parodying a mixture of Spinal Tap. I mean, I I kind of like I've only seen the opening scene of Spinal Tap, so I kind of parodied that. The Rottles, the whole Beatles rock band, Beatles career, and put it into like a twelve minute thing. It's actually up online. I can send you it. It's awful. It's made by people in grade eleven with very limited capabilities.
0: Well, what what we'll do is I'll try to remember. I never, I never. And, and i'll, I'll send never you the link this. afterwards send me the link later on and i'll try to remember to put it in the show notes for this episode for those listening if they want to if they want to watch it too
1: yeah it, uh, it was honestly probably the great the greatest um high school experience of my life and that's not saying much
0: <laughs> amazing so you don't know i don't want to get into i mean i'm sure you know a lot of little pop culture things i don't want to spoil anything for this guy because he knows no i wouldn't almost, either
1: i'd rather I, go into this blind
0: and this is also his first like uh, venture into that world of like mm. the Christopher Guest movies. Gotcha. Even though well, this one's I mean, not this was not a Christopher Guest movie in the in the sense that he directed it the way the later ones are.
1: Has he seen Princess Bride though?
0: He knows who Rob Reiner is.
1: Okay, so good. Yeah. So I mean, like this is his first. Because so. I queued,
0: I cued him earlier. I said I said this is you who directed this. And I and I just said Chopper Sick Balls. And He's like, oh, Reiner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's the kind of nerd wow. I've okay. Well, I mean, if you got your kid knowing that, I mean, I, I'm impressed.
0: <laughs> That's the kind, those are the kind of references we throw to each other. He's like, oh, Reiner. Good. Nice. <laughs> I love I that. Know I, I don't know why I went to that as opposed to Princess Bride, because he knows that too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more fun to say chopper sick balls. And for yeah. those who don't know what I'm referencing, I'm, first of all, I'm very sad for you. And second of all, I'm, re- I'm referencing Stand By Me. And we did yeah. that for a podcast. We did do that for a podcast. So this is not yeah. your first, this is not only your first Reiner film, it's, it's your, it's not even your first Reiner podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you weren't on that podcast. I did that podcast with Alan Backus. Oh, you just stand by me. Yeah. yeah so this must be my third Reiner. No. And I did Misery yeah. too.
1: I've done a lot of Reiner films on the podcast. Just don't show your kid North. That is not the Reiner film that you want. <laughs> I've never seen North. North is one of my few black holes. Oh, oh, it is a very, very problematic film, but we can get into that later. Okay, great.
0: Well, we'll talk about Reiner for sure later on, because uh, I've got some 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 thoughts on Reiner. Uh, Anyway, so let's dive into it, because uh, I don't want to spoil anything further for him and I don't want you to get anything spoiled either. Yeah,
1: I've only seen the opening scene. That's really it. That's all I know. That's and, you know, the few things here and there.
0: Great. All right. So uh, so we'll be right back.
1: Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.
0: All right. So we just finished. I and had so much fun. He was killing himself laughing the entire time.
1: <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy to hear.
0: Like, it really I- does. The last time I remember Ephraim laughing, like, with that just kind of reckless abandon, was the first time you saw Home Alone when he was way younger.
2: No, that was not the last time.
0: But with that kind of giddiness, I that think.
2: That is not the last. When's
0: the last time you think you laughed at a movie? I don't know. There's like movie?
2: 10 movies.
0: Okay, well. Uh, in my experience, <laughs> I, but I just I mean, my experience of watching you laugh at a movie, it reminded me of that. Oh, I'm glad you laugh at many movies. but that. But it's just like just connecting with you, I think like you, I think you got a lot more out of it than most 12 year olds would because you kind of get music stuff. And also you just have a bit more of a sophisticated kind of sense of humor. Well, just knowledge and rock, but also just like you, like he kind of, he's my kid. So he, like there's a British sensibility to his humor where he just gets kind of like dry undercut humor Uh, And also, it's a combination of that and just dick and fart jokes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the same with me and my father when, you know, I got introduced to Monty Python at a very, very young age. Like, it it was more Holy Grail. So I I may have been four or five at the time. I didn't watch the whole thing, but there were, you know, moments that would just stick in your head. So the Killer Rabbit or um, the Black Knight or, you know, the the Burning of the Witch or the Camelot Song. I would play the CD-ROM game. Even though there was so much inappropriate humor in it, I never got it as a kid. I was just laughing because it was just funny.
0: Yeah, the first time these guys watched uh, Holy Grail, they went and found two things to pretend to be coconuts. And when one ran behind the other one, (laughs) hopping, while the other one did the coconut bit,
1: it was great. It's, It's perfect. But what I really do like about Spinal Tap is... I, when i was younger and i saw this movie and then i see it you know in in the simpsons that one episode it's like is this band actually real and what what's really great about this is that it actually is shot so sincerely like a documentary it, was, It's like nothing feels forced it it feels like a genuine like this actually did happen
0: no 100% well there was i was i was just double i was g- going on some when when uh, Ozzy Osbourne watched the movie for the first time, he was the only one watching it like in their group, that wasn't laughing because he thought it was real. <laughs> and the U2 guitarist to the edge said, I didn't laugh, I wept because it was so fucking close to the truth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because you, you got to think with all these comedians, how, how many times did they actually talk to other creatives who were in bands or just knew the sensibilities of what this was like?
0: Well, even some people—it's it's rumored to say that it's like they told Rob Reiner they loved the movie. They just wish he would have made it about a more famous band.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: see, it, 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 and the, the thing is, while watching this, it made me reflect so much. I don't think Ephraim's seen pop star yet is oh god
0: no you would love it though so pop star is um the is is the guy from brooklyn 99 uh-huh, cool. it's like a it's a fake it's like a modern fake fake um
1: the thing is it, like a mixture between um, levine and justin bieber <laughs> yeah
0: right. so pop star is like a modern version of smile tap we def- once we're done brooklyn 99 we definitely have to watch um yeah andy sandberg uh we definitely have to watch Popstar. I think he, you can watch it. There's nothing that inappropriate.
1: There's nothing that inappropriate. I mean, listen, it, it's technically 14A here, so he can watch it. He's watched
0: worse. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, well, even like you were killing yourself when they were
1: describing the album cover.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, 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 yeah. That's the thing. I didn't realize how much of a who's who of the like, 80s was in here for 1984. You got a mixture of. Fran Drescher pre the nanny you've got um Billy Crystal in like the smallest bit ever and yeah
0: I'm sure there was more like because they probably just ran with it but that's all they kept of it I'm sure they shot way more with oh, him
1: oh I mean I I mean Bruno, Bruno, food, Bruno Kirby's bit this.
0: Bruno's Kirby bit as the limo driver yep um you get uh Angelica Houston in that super small world she was the one that built
1: Stonehenge I totally did not recognize her. That's, That's Angelica
0: Houston. Fred Ward plays the military guy.
1: Uh, uh, Fred Willard. Fred Willard. Fred Willard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, the, and so he's been watching. He plays uh, Phil's dad on Modern Family. And so Ephraim uh, didn't yeah. quite recognize him because he's so much younger
1: there. See, I just know more from like Anchorman and everything else. Christopher Guest has done because it's just the constant collaborators. <laughs> Well, and
0: that's what, the, what we were watching. I was trying to explain to Ephraim who some of these people were. Because I'm like, oh, you've seen Christopher Guest. He was the six-fingered man in, in this. I don't think he's seen anything with Michael McKean in it yet. But Harry um, Shearer. Maybe you know. Clue. Has he seen Clue? Oh, yeah. yeah. He plays Colonel Mustard. Oh,
2: cool.
0: No, I thought he was uh, Mr. No, Green. He's Mr. Green. You're right. He plays Mr. Mr. Green. I'm going home to have sex yeah. with my wife. Wife. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then Harry Shearer, as you would know, being Mr. Burns 50%. and Smithers. Mm. Yeah. So uh
0: lots of just crazy. Yeah the cat, the supporting cast is bonkers.
1: Yeah. It is on it's honestly again so sincere in its in its presentation that it just feels so authentic. I, in terms of the improv capabilities of just everybody in this movie.
0: Well, um we we were late coming on back with this because the opening when you I don't know if yours does this But the DVD copy I have there when you first pop it on, they just riff over the over the DVD
1: credits. That's 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 the other one I've got up there. Like the Criterion one doesn't have that.
0: No. And so I'm I'm sure it's owned by the company that put out that DVD. And so we just sat there for like, I don't know, too long to the point where I'm like, this is never going to end. We need to watch the movie. Because I was just waiting for it
1: to come That's why it took you end. so long to come back on. I was we, wondering. It's like we, we started for, basically the same time. I thought. Oh, yeah, well, we, it was we almost
0: know. like an opening number because like, he was killing himself laughing at it. And I was like, "Well, wow, he's enjoying this. It's a good warm up." We're you yeah. gonna say good.
2: We also watched the entire credits.
0: Yeah, same here. Same <laughs> here. Because they're great, and it's like there's, yeah. we're not racist. We're not not racist. Well, we're, <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not saying anything about brotherhood, but we're not. You know. So good. It's so hard not to slip into an impression when you just
1: do their bits. Yeah. yeah. The only bit he had seen before was that it goes to 11. Yeah, because I think everybody has seen that one time or another. It's just one of those things that, again, just seeps through pop culture. Everybody knows where it's from, even if you've never seen it.
0: Well, it's one ladder, isn't it? (laughs) Why don't you just make 10 ladder? Like, great pause. These go to 11. These go to 11. (laughs)
2: But
1: mine goes to 11. Yeah. So, so the amp is exact same. You just change the numbers. There's no yeah. nine. I, I really like the cutaway gag where he says that the solos are his trademark and then on the side he uses the violin as his thing and then he used I think on. he's making fun of Jimmy
0: Page there or or one of those guys. The, Honestly,
1: he, I, I didn't pick up on that. See, I've, I've not watched like um The Song Remains the Same or The Last Waltz. I haven't seen any of those kind of rock documentaries to really under, uh understand what aspect of it it's it's parroting, but i mean having seen something like the Ruddles or having seen um certain episodes of the office or even pop star i could totally pick up on all right i can see where all these were probably like picked up from or referenced and all this
0: yeah um and they're all playing the instruments
1: yeah which to me it, which again the authenticity of me being younger thinking that this was an actual band it's so
0: good and just like that bit where oh, i just thought of um when he's playing the piano he's like it's so lovely it's beautiful it's like yeah it's called lick my love pump <laughs> it's just like oh this this is
1: my humor <laughs> if if anything i feel like ever would enjoy the the musical tastings of frank zappa
0: maybe yeah I, you know a little bit do you know zappa at all no. Bonkers guy. We'll, we'll have a whole very bonkers guy.
1: I mean, actually just today I was watching 200 Motels um because it's uh it's up on Daily Motion. 200 Motels is basically a I wouldn't call it a documentary, but it kind of is at the same time. It's about how life on the road as a as a rock and roll group makes you crazy and it's just all these antics that go on. Um it was filmed in London. It was filmed on a, on a sound stage with like full on orchestra fake constructed set it's very meta and self-aware of itself but it's also a little bit inappropriate so maybe not the right place for him to start zappa wise but it, it's definitely something i feel he can watch and be like this is really crazy but really good nice all right
0: yeah we yeah. Should, I, I don't know you've had any zappa yet i'm trying where to say because i don't know a ton about zappa myself i just i have a lot of friends who are obsessed with him in college yeah. And so I just got like a, a small, uh, a small dive down the rabbit hole, but maybe that's what we could discover together. Because there's yeah. definitely some as you grow in your your music iconography, you're going to want to at least have that as a, a reference point. Yeah. So what yeah. were some of E So what were some of your favorite scenes?
2: Um, I'm trying to remember, like when you get stuck in like the thing on stage. Oh, uh, the pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: When they pulled up <laughs> the blowtorch, you lost your mind. You're
1: like, what the?
2: Yeah. He <laughs> has
1: yeah, that just in not- time. Oh, you love the backstage scene when they get stuck. Yeah. lost backstage. Oh, where they get lost. Like, how do you get to the stage? All right. So you're going to have to jog down this hall, make a right, then jog down for 30 seconds. Like, no, that's too long.
0: So, what's great, uh, if you're not aware, I don't know if they have it on one. Of the- I mean, you have three of the discs. I'm sure you have one of the ones I have. Uh, I don't know if it's on all of them, but on the commentary track in the movie, they do it in character. Yes. And they're yeah. constantly talking shit about Rob Reiner's character, Marty. And they're like, how many times have we walked down different hallways and we got through just fine? He got to show the one time we couldn't find the stage. One time, <laughs> couldn't find the stage, and he puts it in the documentary. Makes us look like assholes. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, listening to them, their commentary of the movie is almost the best sequel they ever could have made for it.
1: Yeah, which I, fe- which I feel is the only way that you could do a sequel to this. Um, you know, with all the other comedies, you know, between Anchorman or Zoolander and all this trying to capture lightning in a bottle again, it, it, it would it never be as good. Be, no, it would never be as good. It's the same thing of um, like with the Ruttles. Um, so technically, there are two documentaries in this. The first one from like 1978, which was done um, like uh, I was I was reading the back of this. So Lauren Michaels was actually the one who helped um, make this happen. And then in 2002, there was a sequel to it, which is basically just a rehash of the first one. And it's not as good. I mean, it's still funny because it's some of the outtakes that they couldn't use in the first one. Right. But it's the same material again. And it doesn't feel as fresh. It's like, all right, I'm glad this was made, but it's not the best. So having it kind of as a commentary track, the same thing with, let's say, Tropic Thunder, of Robert Downey Jr.'s character doing the commentary track of the movie in character. I didn't know that existed. Yes. Oh my god. He actually does <laughs> he actually does the commentary track as cap as um Kirk Lazarus. We how excited are you for that? Do we have it on disc? Uh
2: no. It was on Netflix, but now it's on Amazon Prime.
0: We uh he you know he loves that. He's obsessed with that. Movie.
1: I, I I might need to lend that to you then.
0: Okay, yeah, next time we're able to see each other, because uh, that's one of his favorite movies. And and I've not heard that commentary track with Danny Jr. doing any character. Is it good, or has it just become like a bad I about haven't shit? listened to
1: it in a while. I will need to report back
0: on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I can vouch that the... I'm sure if you looked up like top commentary track lists, I'm sure the Spinal Tap one is on most... Yeah. In, in the top...
1: Probably the top ten on a lot of... I, I just like commentary tracks where they have fun with it. Where they absolutely just balls to the walls just do just do their thing i was watching the um the south park movie one a couple weeks back and about half an hour in matt and matt and trey just admit they have no material whatsoever to to just riff on so they just start bringing people in from the office to see what else they could remember from making the production of the movie that's funny
0: yeah one one mike i haven't listened i've gotten out of the habit of listening to commentary tracks as i've gotten older but uh, like one of my favorites from back in the day when I would listen to every single one was the man who wasn't there. Uh, it's one. It's the Coen Brothers and Billy Bob Thornton do it together, and yeah. Billy Bob Thornton is just like giving away all of their secrets, and they're getting constantly more annoyed with it. <laughs> he does a whole bit about um, their 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 quote editor. Yeah. Um, where he ran into them, and like creates this whole story about the time he ran into their editor, because their editor is them, but they give him a name, uh, Roderick James, I think. Uh,
1: you would know better than I would on yeah, this. Yeah,
0: so they he made they made up this they made up a name a fake editor hmm. to put the credit on their movie, so because they didn't like seeing their name over and over again on the credits, so they made up a fake editor name, and he made and Billy Bob Thornton tells a story, and he goes on for about five minutes. About running into Roderick Jane and how he's kind of a dick, but you know, you <laughs> get it. And they ran it and there was eating wheatgrass or something shots. And there was this one great moment uh, where they're just, there's this long push in on Billy Bob's character during this like poignant voiceover part. And they're like, Tell me, tell me if you guys noticed anything weird, weird about, I can't remember the character name here. They're like, What? Like, we've watched this so many times. What are you talking about? I like, Just tell me if you noticed anything weird, anything interesting here. Like, what? He's like, he's got a boner. <laughs> I was like, what? They're like, we never know. Like, he put a little thing in his pants to give himself a prosthetic on his scene, didn't tell anyone. <laughs> and, and and the Coens themselves didn't realize it until that moment. <laughs> it's delightful. And just the way that it's like the Coens are, I think, really enjoying having Billy Bob on and also going, fuck, this is a
1: bad idea. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you, like, when you give an actor just like free reign of just like, all right, you know what? No, we we were lying. There is no editor. We were the we were the ones. We just use it as a pseudonym. No, they're just having fun with it. like, oh yeah,
0: know. they're enjoying it because they riff back and forth with it. So they, yeah. they're they're in on it. But it's it's
1: ridiculous amounts of fun. So uh, yeah. so so, Ephraim, what what's a lesson that you learned from this in terms of with Spinal Tap? What do you learn about being a heavy metal group, or actually, you know, being a 50s rock and roll to a 60s. What, w- what would you describe it as? Just like a flower power kind of mixture between yeah, that, the animals and the lollipops or something.
0: Yeah, then animals partridge family kind of weird vibe they mm-hmm. have in the middle there. There's <laughs> that great so, and I, there's just that sadness and like the patheticness of this where the, even like the when Harry Shearer comes like, hey, come there's, a, there's a, a part of your history in the next room. The, the, the radio's playing with their old songs. And then uh the announcer, the DJ gets on and he's like, Yay, yeah, he's like that's the band, the tenements or whatever it was. And then later on became final tap, and now they're I'll just so, now they're just living somewhere in the Where Are They Now files. And it's like, oh, that's and just watching them Paul Schaefer also has, has that cameo. He plays the Artie Funkhauser or whatever his name is, the guy that's like, just kick my ass.
1: Just, just. yeah, that that I that I really laughed at because that just that felt way too real. That felt way too just pulled out of real life somewhere.
0: Oh, I mean, just as a as an independent filmmaker, like I've been to those smaller film festivals where like you show up and it's like, oh, there's ten people in the audience. Gotcha. Okay, this sucks. Um, <sighs> and but then you just do it. You you just make it work, right? And luckily, I've I've been lucky that that's that's happens. Less than, than, than not, but <laughs> How many it's like,
2: times has it not often,
0: there's just one once or twice, but it's just one of those times you're like, I'm here, I came, it's like, let's have the most fun of it. There's one story I know, um, Ingrid Veninger is another Canadian filmmaker who's a good friend, was at a film festival once and she said one person showed up for the screening Oh. but she's like, you know what? I'm going to tr- like that. But then she's like, you know what? That one person could have done anything else tonight. They could have went to another movie They could have stayed home, but they came to this movie. I'm going to make it into like a really personal one-on-one Q and a, and she just had a great conversation with that one person after the movie. And she, so that's just like, and I I took away from that. I'm like, that's good for her. Like they make the most out of it. You can't control the situation. There's nothing you can do it. now you yeah. might as well enjoy. And I've, I've had those moments where I've been with other people from the movie and they've seen like a smaller crowd than you were hoping or expecting. And it's like, you know what, those people, the people like, let's celebrate the people who did come. Let's not worry about the people who couldn't, especially when it comes to a film festival. There's so many different, like there's often other films playing. um, There's different things that you just can't control. So I've been lucky and more often than not that like the films pack the house. Uh, and and whatnot but every now and then you get a a weird especially if if you screen in a weird time slot against a bigger movie yeah Uh, but so i you know there's so much to relate here that 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 transcends just music itself but just like life as an artist and and the fucking insanity just even just like as a filmmaker you know that moment where they get the prop stonehenge and it's like well when when we do it for real it's gonna it's gonna look like this like what do you mean when we do it for real this is the real it's like it's gonna have
1: all the contours and everything, right? Like, wait, yeah, like, yeah. What are you talking about? I
0: once got guy, what I thought was a prototype for a prop, and I'm like, "Well, this is a great for a step." But once we get the real thing, they're like, "No, that's that's it." It's like, it. "Who well, you're fucking with me now?" And It's like, "No, you're clearly not." Okay, well, this is what we're dealing with. At least you're not second built to a puppet show. Oh my god!
1: <laughs> I I, like, I, I told them that-
0: so many times, puppet show should go after.
1: No, I really like how they play uh, – what did they describe it as? Like Some, like, proto-jazz sort of thing. The crowd is so ramped, even though there's, like, 30, 40 people in the audience. And the moment they start playing, they just sit down.
0: It's so bad. Well, that's – what's great about it is the music itself, like, outside of the lyrics, they're all so sexualized. But the music itself isn't a joke. <laughs> like, the, the music's point. good. Like The music's very good. And the
1: musicality is there. The lyrics – like, the point of the lyrics is that it's just so blatantly bad, but yeah. it fits the genre because that's but, what it, it was like.
0: But the movie's aware of, it, like, aware of it in a smart way where they're like, you know, your audience is basically like young boys. <laughs> it's like, well, that's because the girls are scared of our penises is their
1: response. <laughs> and then you get like the visual joke of them playing and you can clearly see. Um, I think it's Michael McKean's and Harry Shearer. Like it's it's kind of bulging out, and then you, and then there's a shot with um, um, Christopher Guest, and it it's not as big because it's kind of centered, while the other ones is kind of like on the side. It's so funny.
0: I forgot one of the bits. I forgot
1: about was that Harry Shearer bit with the cucumber wrapped in tinfoil. Yeah. I totally did not see that coming. I'm like. Wait, hold on. Is there like a piercing joke coming up, or yeah, that-
2: that's what I thought.
1: <laughs> that's what I was trying to remember because I forgot all about that gag, and I was like, oh no, he just set it up
0: to fuck with her. And part of me, it's like, except for the fact that, it's like, clearly they're actors, but it's like it feels so authentic. It feels like he just didn't tell anyone he was going to do that. But then why? Then they wouldn't have used a real metal detector either. So there's so many layers to it. Where it's just yeah. like it's feel it's so well done.
1: Yeah, and. I mean, I've, I've worked on at least one, I wouldn't call it a, a mockumentary, but kind of the documentary style shooting of letting the, like you got point A to point B of how to do a scene and they're just going on and the take lasts 30 minutes. And what I find really interesting is that, you know, you, you're given the scenario and every, um and you can just play around with everything else around it as long as you can get to the end of it. So I, I mean I don't know if the, I can't recall were those airport people or those, you know, um security people actually actors or are they real people? Most the one, likely the lady
0: that was had that had the, the metal detector in her hand felt like an actor. Just like she was so good that unless uh but yeah, but that's kind of what you do. Like on Baroness, we did that a lot. Like it was a lot yeah. of improvisation, but there was always like here are the tent poles of where we want to go and where we want to be. Um, like we always did these things called uh, the blackout sketches, and the idea behind that was that if we have, if we're you know ahead of schedule, we have time, and anyone has an idea, anyone, literally anyone has an idea for a sketch, we can do right now in this setup with the girls in these wardrobes. We'll do it right away, but we get like one take at it, maybe two takes, and that's it. And that's kind of the rules. Yeah, And so we did a whole bunch though. And the one that I came up with became the season opener for the season I directed, I was so proud of that. Nice. Um, and, but it was that kind of parameters. where like, okay, here's the gags. Uh, here's kind of like the pieces of it go. Um, and they were so, and they in particular are so disciplined in knowing like, and because it's, you know, it's going to be for TV, Like And and Baroness sketches were typically, you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to two, two and a half minutes. So they never, like, tried to over-milk something. They were really good about just, like, finding this natural rhythm together and figuring out where a natural end was and letting someone have a natural end. Where when you get bad improvisers, everyone wants to be the person that gets the button. uh, And then a scene just goes on for fucking ever. Which is why I... Yeah.
1: Which is why the chemistry here just really works because everybody knows how to work off each other. And I feel the best kind of improvisers know what's needed of each other. No, they're playing together. Can... Yeah. Yeah.
0: And exactly. like you get, and you get a sense of that interview scene that's shot outside that castle or wherever it is. Like you get a feeling like that was entirely improvised. And, and yeah. as they're telling the story about the drummer, like it, whether it was or not, when they tell a story about the drummer and they're just passing around and everyone gets it there and they're just playing off, oh, it's a gardening incident. And then the other one takes that and runs with something else. Like that's the parts that feel like, oh, they're now just playing with each other.
1: Yeah. And um, the, the, the official word is that he choked on vomit. Yeah, but you don't know who's I and mean, You can't dust for vomit.
0: <laughs> it, was some, it was someone else's vomit. Yeah, it didn't have DNA tests back right then. And then, but Ephraim called it, like, after they, they, came back and told the, they came back and told another story of another dead drummer. He, and then they cut to the new drummer, and Ephraim's like, there's no way that guy's surviving the movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, clearly, clearly your son knows Chekhov's gun at this point.
0: Yeah. And he's like, that's a setup. Um, so question for you, Ephraim. In terms of, like, pace, did you find, like, you were kind of interested the whole time? Did you find it got slow in places? Like, how, how does this movie land for you pace-wise? And be honest, if it's like I find for me, it's like it, it feels a bit slow in pace places now. But that's also because I know where it's going and I know all the pieces.
2: Yeah, like the interviews were like a little bit slow, like not too slow, but like it still kept like it felt it was really fast.
0: But you were you were entertained the whole time. Yeah, like you weren't bored. Yeah, that's a huge testament. You know,
2: like one out of ten, I would give an uh, eleven.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's almost we, should almost, we should almost wrap it up on that. Yeah. But that that's great because it's one of those things, I watch it now and I'm like, oh, I wonder how this paces for people that are like of the next generation yourself. But I mean, you also have more patience for slower movies than probably most of your friends would, I imagine, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, just you appreciate it more, so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I I feel like if you watch it for entertainment purposes, like nowadays, if you're just watching it as it is, then maybe you can see it as, oh, it's very slow in in places and all this. But if you're watching it and keeping in mind this is what it was for its time, it's fantastic. It's phenomenal, but it also, like, to its point, like,
0: I think that's almost what, like, modern mockumentaries do. Like, they, they cut too tight in the sense that and that's what makes it lose its real authenticity to make it feel like a fake documentary. Yeah. You know, like, so many modern mockumentaries are winking
1: the whole time yeah it's very self-aware of itself
0: yeah with this one like it just had it's just the way it's shot and everything like it feels so authentically a documentary like i'm sure there was people like similar to i remember when blair witch came out like there was that whole like the marketing campaign behind that movie was brilliant because there were so many people coming out of the movie going well, no, but it's real. And look at people think, you're insane. It's not real. and But so many people – and even like I remember sitting there going, I've read so much about this movie. I know it's not real. But I got – I, I went home that night because the movie messed me up. Yeah. And having to go home that night and just confirm before I went to bed that it's this is 100% not real, right? I just, I just need to confirm. I know 99% of me says you're an idiot. Of course, it's not real, but I just I got to just double check because I won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> We're now I'd be curious at some point you should watch Blair Witch, because I'm sure I wonder if it like still has the punch it had when it came out. Almost. <sighs> is it 20 years ago I, now? I, was it was 99? Was 99.
1: So yeah. it was like 22 years wow, ago. You're at
2: old.
0: I am 22. Years, <laughs> yeah.
1: Don't let's not. Let's not. No. I mean, I know I'm 27, but it doesn't feel like that. And I'd rather not. Because every time I keep getting reminded about the Maple Leafs playoffs and like, oh, they haven't won a series in 14 years, I'm like, oh, dear. Sorry, 17 years. I'm thinking, oh, dear God, it's been that long.
0: They haven't won a cup in my lifetime, Mark.
1: They haven't won a cup in my lifetime either, so don't you start talking to me.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Blair Witch, I think, is another, which is not what I wouldn't call it a mockumentary because it's not a comedy, but it's yeah. a it's a pseudo-documentary.
1: Um. Documentary. I mean, I... I mean, I I don't know whether or not your son would enjoy it, especially at his age. Um, are you familiar, um, current filmmaker with Matt Johnson? Yeah, I know Matt. Yeah. So, uh, like with Nirvana, the Band the show, or. Oh, Oh, you would love Nirvana, the Band the
0: show. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a, it's a, it's a Canadian filmmaker who made a TV series about a, about a really bad band. Uh, you would probably really dig that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got, uh, like, I'm a huge fan of their work and I worked on Operation Avalanche, um, but I feel like the Journeys would also be something up his alley. It's a little bit more mature in terms of its subject matter, but just the, um, the chemistry, the humor, the storytelling, um, because it, it is done in a very pop culture self aware way that it knows what it's doing, but it takes itself so sincerely.
0: Oh, he would love, because especially with um, Nirvana, the band, the show, the, the they references, he would get most of them.
1: Yeah, but sometimes they're so subtle that you would not even notice that. It's like, wait, did they just... No, and so many that you're just like... Uh,
0: I mean, that's a whole other conversation, how they got away with yeah. all the references they did with just copyright law is
1: phenomenal. Oh, there, there's a great video on Tiff's uh, YouTube page. I mean, it, even if you know Matt, like... Get oh, I know Matt,
0: yeah. Video. They basically yeah. just said they didn't give a, give a shit. Yeah. They, <laughs> they they save a certain amount of money for their lawyer to do to yeah. deal with it. Which is smart. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, And so I wouldn't mind just like before we wrap it up, just like one thing that I kind of wanted to, just to touch on is just Rob Reiner is one of those filmmakers that I don't think gets nearly enough credit for how good he is. Um, Just in terms of like, he's not one of those guys like you look at people like Scorsese or Spielberg or Woody Allen, where you're like, Oh, this guy has like one, like a very specific kind of thumbprint and you can kind of like watch a movie and go, oh, that's a Rob Reiner film. You know, he doesn't have that in terms of what he does. But as a craftsman, it's like, you know, there's not a lot of I mean, you mentioned North, I haven't seen it, but it's like you look at his filmography and it's pretty solid, you know, just in terms of the movies he's made. I don't have it in front of me. It looks like you pulled it up. Yeah,
1: yeah, I just pulled it up right now. I mean, that string between the the like just the 80s itself is just nothing but hit after hit after hit after
0: hit. But you look from like from this until uh, uh like you've got this, you've got Harry met Sally, you've got Misery, like he's just stand jumping by me
1: princess bride, few by, good
0: men. And few good men like he's jumping, he's I think he's one of those few filmmakers. And I w- I don't know the answer to this. I'm curious, but it's like I don't know of many other filmmakers that have tackled as many different genres as he has. And been successful at it.
1: Yeah. Like even
0: Spielberg trying to do flat out comedy was not fucking good at it.
1: No, but like he's good at some like some subtle humor. Like there's this yeah, like there are but, a couple of really good jokes in let's say catch me if you can, where every time I watch it, I laugh.
0: That's what I mean. But doing it, but he can't get away with a straight comedy.
1: No, because I feel like you have to understand, and I mean like, Rob has the luxury of his father being Carl Reiner. So he grows up understanding comedy and learning comedy from the source.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, he, he's he got that background. But it's just, like, in terms of just his filmography, it's just – It's, it's it, it, really, it, it really a really
1: weird turn in the 90s and then in the 2000s.
0: Yeah. And no, and even recently, like, so many of his movies just haven't – I don't know. Oh, God. I haven't seen ha- any – most of these like recent things.
2: Yeah. Uh, the hell?
1: Yeah. But uh, I know it's like half of this is like, what? I remember L- I remember LBJ coming out. I remember. Oh, Nick the American president's
0: out. great movie. Yeah. That, that run he did between um basically from spinal tap to a few good Ma- men or American few good men is uh, yeah. With North probably being the middle. And then after that, it's just what, <laughs>
2: garbage after
0: that he just worked like even the story of us i remember not being the story of us being like a a poor man's harry met sally and then i realized he directed i'm like oh it's the same uh yeah yeah. but he's got such an amazing run up up before that um
1: anyway i'm one of those journeyman directors he like he he had he had a very good string of hits and then he's just kind of doing what he wants which i mean like good for him? him honestly yeah um. Any
0: other final thoughts on this is spinal tap?
1: If, if anything, I I hope that Ephraim really does have a chance to check out a lot of other like rock documentaries, rock mockumentaries, even just understanding um, how to properly do improv in film, like how to how to make that work. Because here, I feel like it hits it every single t- like every single joke, every single setup is so sincere and so perfect yeah that it, it's just i don't see that a lot happening today the closest no. i see is maybe anything that phil lord and chris miller do
0: yeah i mean we anything do a little bit not that we do improv classes at home but we definitely play <laughs> and, and you, he understands the you know the, the the that you add to it you don't subtract you you add on to what yeah. someone else has done as opposed to just trying to steer it away but he uh he kind of got to be like mm. a a, a fly on the wall during the Baroness days and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah. got to see early cuts of those kind of things. And, you know, you kind of get it a little bit.
2: I came up with a sketch that never got up.
0: He came up with a good sketch, but we oh. never got around to making it. it was wait, it, what,
1: did, what did he do? What, what was the pitch? Do you remember? Do you remember it now?
2: Yeah. It was like they downloaded like a free Uber app, but like they're on like a bicycle.
1: There
0: was something, it was better than that, but yeah, it was, it was, it was something it was right when Uber was just coming out, but it was a good Uber pitch. And, Uber, and I can't remember it now, but we actually, no, it
2: was like, um, it's like the guy shows up on a bicycle and they had to like sit on like that. They had to like figure a way to get on. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was meant for Meredith. You pitched it specifically for Meredith. That's how you're like, this is a Meredith sketch. Give it to her. And the idea <laughs> yeah. was like Meredith was waiting for an Uber to show up. And it was a guy on a bicycle and it was like green Uber or something like that. And so it's like, just her trying to like double on a bicycle with a person. I think that the worry was that she would actually get
1: physically hurt doing it. Mm. Because visually, of, visually, that's was, really funny. Visually, yeah. as a concept, that is really funny.
0: Yeah, but just smart. I, I I was really proud of it. And Meredith loved it, but then I think it was the producers that was like, That's da- no Meredith that's will dangerous. hurt. Herself. That,
1: well, I a was on level.
0: No, and she, but the problem is Meredith would go for it and wouldn't care. And I that's, yeah. I was, I joked when like I didn't joke. I like I remember walking into a set one day. When we were doing like one of her more physical sketches and there was kind of like an, almost like a chandelier type thing hanging from the ceiling. I said, We have to get rid of that. And they're like, why? I said, because Meredith will jump and hang from it if it's there. <laughs> and they're like, we don't have to do that. We'll just hike it up a bit. <laughs> Cut to half an hour later, Meredith's jumping up trying to jump, and catch. I said, I fucking told all of you <laughs> that she will try to hang off that thing if it's there. <laughs> I said, I know Meredith well enough to know if like, I don't put something in the frame that you don't want her to play with.
1: Um, note to self: Don't to self. make things hard for actors.
0: No, so much fun. All right, buddy, it's bedtime for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, well, thanks for joining,
1: Mark. For your this is your first my, my time pleasure. being on the
0: podcast since since uh, the pandemic started.
1: Yeah, I know it's really been a while. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like it, I, I'd say the only thing I really have to plug on this. Um, so last year, my buddies and I, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were bored. And we we basically made a um, like kind of this independent film uh, magazine, like a full on. It feels oh. like an art book. It's it's heavy. Um, we're called Layered Butter. Um, it's basically the art inspired by movies. We all come from like this um, hobby of alternative movie poster art. So if you see kind of like that Twin Peaks one on my wall yeah, over yeah. here, even um, that David Bowie one. It's kind of like where this hobby is. So it's a mixture of essays and interviews and talking with artists. And And where can you get that? Um, On our website, layeredbutter.com. Our first issue. Layered butter? Layered butter. Layered butter. Layered butter. butter. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Our first issue on Quentin Tarantino sold out right now. uh, Well, we've released five issues digitally. We've only been able to print two. Um, because, well, what we found out, a lot of people like the physical copy better than reading it digitally.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like a coffee table book, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I, it also stacks up really nice. But um, so the five issues that we've done, uh, Tarantino, Christopher Nolan, Modern Horror, James Bond franchise, and Studio Ghibli.
0: Mm, very yeah. nice.
1: Yeah, I got to interview um, the curators of the Academy Museum because they're doing a Miyazaki exhibit in September.
0: That's exciting. It's yeah. very exciting. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I
1: w- I'll send you the codes. I'll I'll send you a code to read it.
0: Oh, I'd love to. I would love to. Absolutely. I'll, I'm thinking I'm going to order them. I think they, they sound great. I'd love That's to great. have uh, have some of them. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm well. like, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to check those out for sure. Okay. And then we'll do another one at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good times. You wanna, then, if
1: you want to uh, fall down the Christopher guest um rabbit hole, I do have waiting for Guffman. I don't have best in show though.
0: We've got, I've got them all. So okay. we'll so definitely I'm, I'm get down on. for that. Yeah. Best in show is like, I, best in show would probably be the closest thing they do to a sequel in terms of it's none of the same characters, but it's back in the music world.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, no. A Mighty Wind is the one.
0: A Mighty Wind is about, is about people that do dog shows. <laughs> yeah. It's, Awesome. You
1: no, know, a mighty wind is is the musical one. Best and shows the dog one. Yeah, that's what I said, didn't I? Uh, no, I think you reversed it. I don't. Oh, I don't God. know. I, I'm so drunk, Mark. I just, it's 10 p.m. <laughs> how are you drunk?
0: I've been drunk since noon. All right. <laughs> Good. Uh, and now I'm gonna get him to bed. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining.
1: Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Let's all go to the.
0: Thanks for joining us for this. Is Spinal Tap? Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on ThatShelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at lonjeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks.
1: Let's all go to the
2: lobby to get ourselves a treat.